Welcome to the CRISPR revolution. This is CRISPR Cuts, a podcast dedicated to the world of genome engineering. Take a break and join us as we guide conversations with an expert CRISPR cast about this cutting edge science. Hi everyone. Thank you for tuning into CRISPR Cuts. Our guest today is Megan Hoekstrasser. She's the science communications manager at the Innovative Genomics Institute. I'm thrilled to have Megan here and she's going to talk about all the amazing activities going on at the IGI. Thank you for joining us, Megan. Thanks for having me. Sure. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got to this position of science communication at the IGI? Sure. So I started out as a scientist, so I got my undergrad degree at Brown in biology and then I came directly to grad school at UC Berkeley and ended up joining Jennifer Doudna's lab in 2012, which was an interesting time to join. Kind of coincided with CRISPR becoming a genome editing tool and becoming what it is today. And so while I was there, I was doing just biochemical experiments and collaborating for structural biology. And I got more and more interested in the communication side of science. And so I would started editing a lot of people's papers and commenting on how they were laying out their figures and everything, and occasionally did some volunteering and outreach and things like of that nature. And so when it came time to graduate, I was looking into all kinds of different jobs, like science writing, technical writing, briefly flirted with the idea of doing some kind of industry research, but then I just wanted to go more um, non-research, I guess. So, yeah, so around that time, the IGI was sort of expanding. So we started as an initiative and then eventually became an institute. And around that time, we wanted to redo our website and have a more formal communications initiative, I guess, online. And so Jennifer mentioned that they were trying to hire someone to do communications for IGI and that she thought I I should try it. So I went for it and it's been really nice. So I've been able to really direct a lot of what I do. And if I have an idea to pursue, I really have a lot of freedom in getting to try new things. So it's, it's been fun. Nice. Well, now, obviously, you do a lot of psychom and genomics and CRISPR-related stuff. But importantly, before that, before even CRISPR became big, you were thinking of getting into science communication, right? So why do you think, first of all, science communication is important? And secondly, how is it different in CRISPR, in communicating about CRISPR? Mm-hmm. I think the reason that I really wanted to move into more communication education, that side of things, is because that was the side that got me interested in science to begin with. So I was, when I was graduating, I was thinking back to why I started in science and the video games I played on the computer, like Magic School Bus, Human Body, and all these sorts of things. And I thought that would be really fun to pursue and to be the one making those things and inspiring new people to go into science. And then I think besides just recruiting people for science, it's just science communication is about making sure your science has the impact you want it to on the world and making sure people hear about it and ensuring that the messages are delivered in a really accurate and fair way, which is a big challenge these days, especially in the era of fake news and facts not mattering. It can be really hard to, to get messages out and make sure they're reliable. So if you want to make a big difference in the world, you need people to understand what you're doing and not feel like you're doing it behind their back and communicate along the way during the process. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And do you think it's particularly difficult for 
CRISPR scientists to kind of get their word out, especially because of the hype around this tool in general. Some people believe that it's going to, you know, cure everything. Some people believe that it's going to kill everyone. So, <laughs> with with all these extremes, is that another uh, challenge that you face in CRISPR communication? Yeah, I mean, I I think CRISPR is kind of unique because it its popularity and hype is a plus on one side because it's easy to get people to care about what you're talking about and people mm-hmm. are interested they've heard something about it but they don't really understand but then as you're saying yeah it's really hard to combat some of the wild things people might have heard about it and i think you know we see new headlines every day almost about crispr and they're on the spectrum of boring yeah. realistic absurd crazy so yeah. Yeah, it, it can be hard to combat some of the misinformation, but I think overall, a lot of the people I talk to seem to have pretty, I don't know, not like an in-depth understanding, but when they have heard of CRISPR before, they get the gist of what it can do, and they definitely do put some of their own fears and emotional reactions onto it, but I haven't seen thought it to be too bad. I haven't found it to be too bad. Okay, and just to clarify, mm-hmm. who is generally your audience that you're communicating to? Is it other scientists? Is it the general mm-hmm. public, or a mixed bag? Uh, it's mixed. So for the IGI, I do the communications. I don't know all of it. I guess right now, I think we're going to expand soon. But we definitely are communicating to other scientists within the organization and outside. And then my emphasis is largely on the general public, quote unquote, and all of the audiences that are included in that. So when I talk about people that might have misinformation or misperceptions, that's usually people that I'm going to give a talk to somewhere or, you know, maybe students that come here for a field trip, something like that. A lot of Lyft drivers. <laughs> that's kind of my, right? my most frequent yeah. exposure <laughs> to the general public. Yeah, mine too. That's <laughs> one area where I think like I really feel great at the end of it because I mm. feel like okay, today I helped someone understand something. So. <laughs> Okay, yeah. and I think like IGI does a lot of interesting stuff and one of the reasons I especially like it is because you do it in so many different ways. Mm-hmm. So, can you tell us about some activities at IGI and maybe pick one of your favorite one or two projects that you would like to talk about? Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah, so I guess my general strategy with IGI's SciComm has been just to kind of diversify the media that we use and not just have it be a lot of written stuff. We really try to have a lot of videos and kind of more innovative or emerging technologies. So we have a, a video game called Fade Invaders. We're working on an augmented reality app to explore protein structure, a virtual reality experience to go do genome editing in cells, all kinds of stuff like that. And I think in general, I, I just, I want to make sure it's fun and that it's interesting in the ways that I've always found science to be interesting, especially when I was younger, and to make sure that alongside it being fun, it's very accurate and reliable. And I think in general, I hope that we can become a, a positive resource for people that are looking for information on CRISPR and are seeing a lot of disparate pieces that they won't necessarily connect. So we're trying to become kind of a hub that has different resources that work for different kinds of people. So not everyone wants to learn in the same way or isn't interested in the same things. So yeah, so I guess we we basically do, I guess, two categories of SciComm, I would say. One is mostly online resources, so very widely accessible electronic communication. So one example of that would be whiteboard videos. We've been making a few of those recently. And those are really fun because we work with high school students sometimes and mostly undergrad students here at Berkeley. 
um, to do the, the actual drawing and even mapping it out sometimes. So the idea there is those are those videos where you see someone's hand frantically drawing and yeah. sped up on a whiteboard to illustrate some sort of scientific concept. And they're really fun because they integrate visual communication, trying to make a really concise script, which can be pretty hard, and just video editing and kind of trying to make little animations and everything. So we've been making whiteboard videos to communicate the main findings of some of our research papers from the IGI, and we've been calling them IGI paper delivery. So to give people this little you know, bit of news about the paper and make it accessible and interesting so they don't actually have to read the paper. <laughs> and I think hopefully scientists can appreciate that too, but they're mostly tuned in for the general audience level of understanding. And then we're also making just kind of general CRISPR explainers through whiteboard videos as well. Yeah, I have seen those whiteboard videos and even as someone who's aware about CRISPR and I've read about it, I still find them extremely useful. So in a lot of our blogs or even in some of our educational materials, I often embed those videos. They are really great. So, oh, great. Thanks. Yeah, good job on that. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, um, I want to make more. They're fun. They, they take a lot of work, though. Yeah, so. exactly. I, I know the process, and it's like, <laughs> which is why I haven't gotten around to making those. But yeah, they, are, they turn out really well. And mm -hmm. yeah, it's, it's great. Even the other communication efforts that you guys do, mm -hmm. like you mentioned, you know, just having a video game or maybe playing cards and stuff like mm -hmm. this. is It's very innovative. And I think that's, you're right, not everyone learns in the same way. So there are more reasons for people to kind of learn from you just because it's, it's mm -hmm. done in different ways. The second category would be in-person events and programs. So we have this program called Ask a Scientist where we connect these random requests from students that we get to volunteer scientists who want to kind of hone their chops and doing SciComm and talk to the public. So we will Skype in with a classroom, for example, or just do a one-on-one -on -one phone call, answer things via email, that kind of thing. And then we do a lot of events like tours, field trips. We recently did a community science day just outside the building here. That was really cool. We had like virtual reality there. Kids were making DNA models out of candy and we had a photo booth where they could dress up in lab coats, and it was really adorable. <laughs> um, so I think we, we kind of try to hit it on both sides, so kind of local things in the community as well as the more widely accessible online content. Right. And do you have a preferred method of communication between all of these? Oh, man. Not really. I think, I mean, I, I like science writing a little bit, but... I think anytime I can avoid having just written communication, I like it. So I, I really like visuals and just more fun kind of things. Right. So, yeah, I mean, it, it can't all be fun, though, because a lot of what we're talking about is, you know, serious diseases and medical yeah. situations. So I think that's kind of interesting to think about how to make that sort of content also stimulating without it being cheesy or, or geeky to the extent that it's offensive in some way. Right. So we kind of try to balance the serious message that we're really doing important work here that's going to help people with making it accessible and interesting to people. Right. So one question would be, apart from Ask a Scientist, how are the scientists at Berkeley or actually any of the partnering institutes involved mm -hmm. in IGI communication, do you reach out specifically or is it assumed that they'll help? Yeah, that's a great question. I've found a lot of different people that are really interested in talking to people in the public or students. I think a lot of people totally aren't and that's fine too. I do think science communication is a great skill to have regardless of what you're doing though because I think 
even if you're just going to write research papers and you're never going to talk to anyone in the public, which you know I have opinions about that, but even if you don't do that, you want to be able to make your research exciting to other researchers and accessible. Like I sometimes see papers that are in science, nature, or cell, and so I know they should matter, right? But then I try to look at them and they're like impenetrable to read. It's just a lot of heat maps or things that I can't totally grasp onto in the amount of time that I have for it. So I think being able to make your title and abstract at least tell some of your message is important. And yeah, I think it's just a really valuable skill to have in general to, to become respected in your field and make what you're doing accessible to other people. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. And I think even a slight difference with just the graphical abstracts has mm -hmm. made a huge difference in understanding of papers, right? So yeah. it's a small initiative, but things like this kind of re-emphasize why we need communication and why scientists should at least strive. I mean, mm -hmm. not everyone's going to be great at it, but they should at least try to yeah. either communicate or contribute to communications mm -hmm. to kind of help, you know, just spread the word about their research. What's yeah. the point of keeping it in the lab? So yeah, mm -hmm. I, I absolutely agree. It's very essential and I'm glad that at least more and more scientists are now realizing the mm -hmm. benefits of this and yeah. the importance of this even and they're kind of participating in these events and or even on online resources they're helping out with their expertise so mm -hmm. so that's really great. Yeah and we've had a lot of really helpful people reach out that just want to get involved to do something or when we do ask for volunteers we usually can get quite a few good people. Never enough. Yeah. <laughs> but, People can be great. And we've been trying to offer more training and stuff. It's kind of hard, but I'm interested in the future in expanding the sort of communications training that we offer to at least IGI scientists and hopefully beyond. Right. So actually, that, that was going to be my next question. So if someone is, say, really interested in making these videos, are you open to people just approaching you who are not, say, in Berkeley or in, say, UCSF, and they just mm -hmm. approach you and want to participate in one project? Do you undertake projects like this or do you have a team and then that team basically works on all the communications material? We're totally open to working with other people and collaborating. I think the, the biggest issue is the budget. If someone needs us to pay them, we might not be able to, but if someone just wants to volunteer, like our current um, undergrad that we're working with on whiteboard videos, she just said, I love doing art and I'm in, also in science and I would love to help out. And so we just brought her on board. It's also easier if someone's local, like the whiteboard videos especially, where right. we're all together like trying to set up the camera so there's no shadow and everything. Yeah. And that would be hard to do remotely. But yeah, we're definitely very open to collaborations and everything. Um, right now it's, it's me, Kevin Doxon, I work with for most of these projects. And then we have a few other people in the IGI that we will work with, but we're the two communications people. So everyone else that works on our projects are undergrad volunteers, high school summer interns, people like that. Okay, but that's still really a great opportunity for anyone who wants to start out and just needs a platform or is happy to get some help or perspective on their work, right? So that's, mm -hmm. uh, that's actually quite cool that you're open to new people just trying out stuff. Yeah, absolutely. We just started a a blog series for when our seminar speakers come and visit. We have an undergrad who is interested in science writing and general science communication who interviews each of the seminar speakers that we bring to visit and then writes up a little interview that she puts on our website. So yeah, I think there's a lot of opportunities right. to create little um, small spaces like that that are manageable projects where an undergrad or someone at that level can try their hand. 
Cool. So, is there any particular project, upcoming one, that you're excited about? There's a lot of upcoming projects. I don't know how many I can talk about yet, but I think one that I'm really excited about is a virtual reality project we're working on. Um, and we're doing this in collaboration with the Lawrence Hall of Science, which is UC Berkeley's campus science museum. Um, I think a lot of people don't know it exists. It's very cool um, to have that as part of the university. And we're working with them and a company from Oakland called Dynamoid to create a virtual reality experience where the user is wearing the whole virtual reality headset and they get to dive into a human body. And the intention of this one is to show first how sickle cell disease works and then second how it could be potentially treated using genome editing. And so this is a really cool platform because you can see at all levels how the disease would affect somebody. So we have a simulated patient um, mm -hmm. in a human body and you can zoom in to different levels of magnification basically. So you can see the body level, the tissue, you can go inside the blood vessel and see the red blood cells moving around behind you. And then you can see in the sickled cell, you can see the shape, you can see the mutation at the DNA level, you can see it at the protein level, you can see how it makes the hemoglobin aggregate and distort the cell shape. And so I think it's a cool way to teach how a disease happens, especially a genetic disease, because I think it, it sounds very abstract to have a typo in some DNA that people don't really understand. And it's, it's hard to see how that would affect some really big zoomed out macro thing like red blood cells. and circulation. So I think that's pretty cool. And then the genome editing side of it is kind of a, a plus. So you once you've established that you understand how sickle cell is working, um, you can actually go in and trigger Cas9 to target the hemoglobin mutation and replace it with a, a healthy copy. And so then you can you know see how you might cure a patient. So I'm really excited about that because I think it's it can work at so many different levels. So if you're you know, an elementary school kid, you're probably not gonna get to the CRISPR part. You're probably just gonna see what it's like to go inside a body and see cells and learn those sorts of basic things. And then if you're older, or maybe perhaps even a sickle cell patient or a doctor that's potentially talking about a CRISPR treatment that we might have one day, you could use this in that context to try to make it more understandable and see how it might work. So I think it'll be really cool and it's actually to, to reach even bigger audiences, it's going to be on the planetarium dome at Lawrence Hall. So it's, you won't need to have the VR Ooh, setup that a nice. lot of people have. You'll get to be able to go there. And instead of seeing space and stars, which are so boring and passe, <laughs> you can see cells and the human body. And That's so, so amazing. Yeah, I, I think, think it'll it's, be awesome. Yeah, I, I think so too. It's a brilliant idea. When do you think this is scheduled for completion? When can we visit this? Hmm. That's a good question. <laughs> it's taking a little bit longer because we just keep working on it and right. stuff, but probably in the next couple months, I would say. It's okay. really advanced a lot, and I'm actually going to test it next week. We have an undergrad journal club that we do every week, and I'm going to test it out with them and see what the undergrads think of the whole experience. So it's, it's getting close, um, and I think it'll be, yeah, it should be launched soon. So yeah, I'm, I'm hopeful to be able to do it at field trips and stuff, or if visitors come here. Um, I think we should be able to slap the headset on one person and then put the put what they're seeing on a projector so everyone can see it and kind of simultaneously Ooh. have the experience. That sounds amazing. I'm I'm excited to visit this whenever it 
it begins so yeah good luck in <laughs> finishing that soon thanks okay so as a science communicator you are in a privileged position to work with a lot of scientists and then you also meet a lot of people who are not scientists so do you have any fun anecdotes or any encounters that you particularly remember from either side yeah i guess i've gotten a few times actually people basically saying to me after i've done an interview with them like a student i give a do interviews with students for their high school projects and stuff sometimes, or just when I've given a talk somewhere, people will afterwards say things like, I thought this was going to be really boring. I read your talk title and I thought it sounded really, really boring. (laughs) Um, But then it was really cool. It turned out to be really interesting. And so, yeah, that also happened with a student where he was like, I thought I just had to do this for school and it was going to be really lame, but that was actually cool. So I think people a lot of times don't really think these sorts of scientific topics are going to be interesting, but then when they learn a little bit more, they realize that there's so much here. Um, And I think that's kind of a fun part of being a science communicator, especially with CRISPR, because there's really something for everyone. You can edit any bit of DNA you want in any organism for any reason. So within the law. (laughs) Um, So there's always something someone's interested in. like, Like, for example, one time we had a field trip here, And we were talking to, I think there were seventh graders, and we were saying, you know, there could be the opportunity to enhance people with CRISPR and genome editing, especially, I think we were talking about embryo editing Mm -hmm. and the ethics there. And we said, is there any reason that you guys could think that you wouldn't want to do something like that? And this one kid raised his hand and he was like, you would make super bullies. You could make bullies that are so strong. And I was like, oh man, (laughs) I never would have thought about that. But yeah, it kind of lets you bring whatever you want to it because there's so much potential. So it's it's kind of fun to try to find different ways to talk to people and find something that works for them that they're interested in discussing. Right. No, that's amazing. And especially as a communicator, I think it's the best compliment that you can get that you surpass yeah. someone's expectations and that they learn a lot more than they thought they would. So which is the whole point of science communication. So yeah, that's that's totally. really great. Yeah, didn't mean to humble brag. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's totally fine. You should. Um, great. So if any of our listeners want to get in touch with you, what is the best way to find you? Sure, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at the CRISPRS, which I originally made as an anonymous account. I wouldn't have made my name that if I knew it would be identified as me one day, but that's my name. <laughs> And I'm on the IGI website, innovativegenomics.org. You can find me on the staff page. It has my email and everything. So, yeah, if you want to collaborate or just chat about, you know, strategies for communicating about different aspects of CRISPR, I'd be happy to talk to you. Great. Perfect. Thank you so much, Megan. And thank you all for listening. Thanks for listening to CRISPR Cuts. I invite you to check out the Synthigo blog, The Bench, for more great CRISPR content. Please send us any feedback you have by contacting us on Twitter. And if you want to join in as a guest on our podcast, email us at crispercuts at synthigo.com. CRISPR Cuts is a scientific podcast by Synthigo. Produced by Kevin, Minu, and me, Bobby. Additional production by Resonate Recordings. Our cover art is by Jeff Merrick. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you soon. Thank you.